Hello and welcome to NeuroShambles, the podcast that aims to shine a light into some of the murkier corners of what it's like to parent neurodivergent kids. I'm Mark Allen, and every episode I'm going to be swapping stories with my guests about some of the frankly ludicrous nonsense we have to deal with on a daily basis. So, if you're anything like me and you're feeling frazzled, overwhelmed and pretty much an outcast from polite society, join me. Hello and welcome to NeuroShambles episode 10. Wowzers, we made it into double figures. That's fantastic. Um, thank you for being here. Um, it is, as ever, a joy to have you NeuroShambles on board. And thanks for sending in some of your suggestions and some of your emails of some really good stuff. Um, I wanted to kind of mention an email that I had from Rachel who asked me to do a show on schools, uh, wanting me to do a topic on schools at some point. And that is definitely something that I do want to do. Um, but I'll be honest, it feels like it's too big a thing to have in just one episode. It feels like there's not only too many facets to that, but also there are too many guests that will have some amazing insight into that side of things. So um, I'm sort of trying to plan it to break it down into different sections. So I'd have primary school and secondary school and school avoidance and homeschooling. And there's lots of ideas for sort of breaking it apart into constituent parts. So look out for those. I'm going to sort of start planning those at some point um, later on in the year. And I'll let you know when, when they've got those out. But thanks for the suggestion. Rachel it's an excellent one and one that I've definitely paid attention to um, now the rest of the show we are meeting a new guest we've got a uh, topic of the week obviously um, and towards the end we're going to be looking at more neurodiversity champions some tiny epic wins uh, one or two what the flip moments and we've also got a new poetry corner um, which is inspired by this week's topic of the week so without further ado let's crack on I am delighted to be able to welcome a new guest to NeuroShambles um, and uh, welcome aboard Angie Belcher, who is a comedian, a writer and obviously a parent of a neurodivergent child herself. Welcome to the show, Angie. Hello. Thanks for coming aboard. The topic of the week this week is obviously about walking, which we'll get onto in a second. But I just want you to explain a little bit about your setup uh, and what sort of neurodivergencies you're dealing with in your household. Uh, well, I, I own a, an autistic five-year-old uh, <laughs> who was diagnosed when he was just coming up to his first birthday, so about, about four and a half. Okay. So uh, he was diagnosed when he was in nursery, which everyone tells me is quite early. Uh, so he has an HCP. And an autism diagnosis, yeah. Okay, and obviously started school now. And is there any other neurodivergencies in your vicinity, or is it just the one? Uh, so in my family, uh, not that I know of, I don't have any other diagnosis. And I know from the books I've read that it must be there's a connection somewhere. There might be someone else who's got autism in the family. But that I know of that's been diagnosed or that I kind of believe has it. No one else, really. So that's all pretty new to us. So, yeah, thanks for introducing your setup. What's the topic of the week? Now, the topic of the week is walking with neurodivergence, because obviously one of the things that underpins every episode of NeuroShambles is something that would typically be quite straightforward for a neurotypical family, is for a multitude of reasons never, ever straightforward for, for a neurodivergent household. And nowhere, I think, is this more typically exemplified than just walking. 
just just getting from A to B and the, the process of getting from one place to another in a swift, coordinated and direct manner. Um, it's never that way, is it? And I think one of the reasons I wanted to get you on is because you've actually written a radio play about walking with to- toddlers. And in the course of writing that radio play, you were sort of comparing notes with other parents of children, just children, and realised that your experience is actually quite different. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so I wrote it and, you know, it's called Walking with Toddlers and then we produced it. It wasn't until afterwards that I realised that um, some of the things in there, not everyone else experiences. And I found that when I when I go on play dates with our neurotypical friends, yeah. uh, so our other little five-year-olds that are Ulysses' friends with, I realised that they can just walk in a straight line and we just, you know, we leave the house and then we, we just get to where we're going. Whereas Ulysses, like... He's, he dances in the world. <laughs> what a lovely way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he dances. <laughs> he never can walk in a straight line. Uh, he's always kind of toppling over. We, once, yeah, we both ended up on the floor because he literally put his foot in front of my foot and tripped <laughs> me over. We both ended up on the floor. It was really embarrassing. And um, <laughs> there was actually a bit in the audio play whereby they both end up on the floor because he wants to wants to just look at the, look at the sky. Oh, why not? And I think the problem is that sometimes I find I'm not entirely sure whether it is that just a five year old behavior or is that an autism thing? Do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm not questioning myself there. Yeah, we definitely had that with Jay, who's my eldest. Was yes, when you first just think, well, this all kids do this. It's like, no, when you actually see them side by side uh, with their peers, then you realize that the, the behavior is slightly different, I guess. Um, my ex-partner Tam has a theory about um, <laughs> about neurodivergent kids. Um, is that neurodivergent kids very often don't tend to walk with their grown-up. They sort of walk ar- around. That parent is is there. It's part of the experience, but they don't feel an instinctive need to kind of walk with them. They're either really far in front or really far behind. That's certainly true of, of mine. I don't know if you have a similar experience with Ulysses uh, yeah he's, he's either going too fast or too slow uh, and he's always got a game in his head so there's always like oh we've got to avoid the bins because they've yeah. got lasers in them or if you touch the cracks in the pavement then the lava will obviously kill you oh, that's obvious, um, yeah. so that we're, always, we're always like in some sort of game I feel like we're constantly in a YouTube video really like, sort of like <laughs> documentary like where you've got to get to the other end of the road but you can't get deaded by the snakes and and there's all these uh, sci-fi experiences that seem to come alive in his head when we go out which is a wonderful oh. world to inhabit isn't it if you yeah. think of it from his perspective I mean we've got a, a, a route that we go on where it, obviously crocodiles are there so we have to jump over this big gap and that's always uh, that's always quite fun and my theory is that not all neurodivergent kids behave in that way. They they don't always kind of walk ahead or, or really far behind. But the kids that do do that are most likely to be neurodivergent. And the more I look out for it, the more I kind of spot it in the world and go, oh, there's one. <laughs> you know, one that's miles away from their parents. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a fun little game I play. And also he has to sometimes physically, like, get out of the space. Like, at Christmas, I took him and his neurotypical best friend to a play. It was an outdoor play at the farm. And at one point, they put a smoke machine on. Ulysses decides that this is a sensory overload. He can't right. bear it. He goes running off. And because he has no, he has zero uh, road awareness, so he's really you have to hold his hand the whole time, you know. And the, my, the neurotypical best friend, I said, are you going to be okay sat there while I just go and run after him? And she's like, 
Yeah, as if like, where else am I going to go? <laughs> yeah. Because neurotypicals, if they've been told to sit there and watch a play, they will sit there and watch a play. Whereas Ulysses, there's no, there's no rules. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's sort of understanding danger is a, a, a massive kind of part of this, isn't it? When they're walking, is that there's a huge concern of mine when when they were younger because it, it didn't seem that like my kids just saw danger in the world or, or kind of instinctively anticipated it because I mean like firstly in terms of staying near their parents I think a, a lot of neurotypical kids will stay near their parents for a sense of safety and because their parents are protectors and you know guardians if you like um whereas you know Jay in particular he's just off he doesn't care <laughs> we're trailing in his wake because you know he probably thinks that he's more safe than we are um and I remember a, a, a very early experience when Jay was probably about four and it was probably my first indicator that, it, that he was a bit different is that Tam and I were sitting and watching him playing in, in this big field and he started walking off and he was walking into the distance and I saw him and I was like, oh, let's see how far he gets before he realises that we're not walking with him and panics and runs back to us. And we watched him go and we, we watched him go. <laughs> We watched him keep going, but he got so far away that we actually ended up having to get up and run after him, um, which is very symbolic of the rest of my life with Jay. It's basically he leads and we have to run along behind him. Completely. The amount of times I've been in the park and he's met a friend, just to explain the kind of autism that Ulysses has got, it's like the no filter, super confident, super friendly, yeah, yeah. over the top, extrovert kind of autism. Um, and he'll meet a friend, be playing for 10 minutes and he'll turn around and go, do you want to come back to mine? And they'll go, yeah. And he'll take their hand and start walking them back home, like out the park. <laughs> Look at this is what I have to watch him like, you know, like a hawk. Like when people say to me, kind of go, oh, Angie, come round. Oh, bring the boy. We'll have a chat. And I go, we won't be able to chat. You know what I mean? Because I have to watch them all the time. Yeah. I can't just chill out and have a cup of tea in someone's house while, you know, the boy just does what he wants to do. He has to be watched. He can open doors. He's opened like car doors before just to say hello to the random strangers inside. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I, bet, I mean, it's better than opening the car door when he's inside and it's moving, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I have to keep that firmly locked just in case. But, yeah. Yeah. But he would walk over roads. He would just go anywhere. He's not, he has no fear. If you've ever been to a party and you, like, when you're younger and there's always that kind of drunk friend that yes. glues themselves to you, but they're nothing to do with you, but everyone thinks they are and they're just off their heads. And so now you have to look after them uh, because everyone knows that you're with them. But you feel like sometimes like, you don't even know them that well because their behaviour is so crazy. That's what it's like, I think, being with an autistic five-year-old. <laughs> not just not just a five-year-old. Like my, Jay is 10 and he's, he's like that. He's, he's like trying to get a drunk best friend home. <laughs> because he's, he's yeah. veering off all over the place and he's staggering into people completely oblivious um is yeah. either that or we've got otto who is much more anxious and he's the other kind of friend who is just like really emotional <laughs> and is just sort of bemoaning the like having to get home and not not thinking that they can cope with it and you have to sort of support them in a very different way and when you've got two at the same time it's a flipping nightmare <laughs> you got one miles ahead and one miles behind. It's like, oh god. Um, but it's just one of the joys, isn't it? I guess. Um, I mean, the thing is about Jay is that he looks like he's a danger to himself, <laughs> but actually he's not. He 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 won't. I mean, he's a bit older now, so I think that's a different thing. But he won't run into the road and cause himself a mischief. But he will always <laughs> look like he's about to. So he's confident that he's safe and I'm confident he's safe, but the traffic thinks he's about to throw himself into the road. So I've often mm -hmm. had cars screeching to a halt 
and he's just like looking at him like what i mean i'm not going to injure myself um how aware is, is Ulysses of, of that kind of thing? Well, what he's done recently is lull us into a false security that he's actually knows how to cross the road now. Right. And what happens <laughs> two or three times, he'll do the whole, mummy, I'm stopping. Oh, mummy, look, I'm looking for cars. I'm doing all the things you told me to. And then the third time, you'll think, oh, I'll just test this theory then. And you, you just walk with him, expecting him to stop when it, you come to a road, and he'll just carry on walking. <sighs> so it's like, he's desperately trying to do all the things you're supposed to do. He just doesn't remember. He's in his own little little bubble yeah that's the thing yeah it is isn't it and um you know i, I basically I've, I've tried pretending that i don't know how to cross the road and that that, that works with jay <laughs> it's like i don't know what i'm doing tell me when to go because he likes being the expert on it on all things uh so that does help and i think i can you know he he can cross the road on his own now but um i don't think i would trust otto to do that <laughs> like because he is he's um he's very distractible i think that's a big problem isn't it like it, being in their own world um they're they're not aware not only of of the dangers but of people and that's a i find that slightly mortifying as a parent when my when my kids just walk into people does ulysses do that all the time <laughs> today it was raining so we had an umbrella it was it was like a ticking time bomb for how many people he was going to bruised today on the walk in because he's like um, he's normally his own world but with an umbrella he's literally not even like looking where he's going i guess because they they don't seem my kids don't seem to have any anticipation that that person's walking towards me they're probably going to stay walking in this line so if i if i stay here they're going to walk into me or someone's going to move um there's that that element of like not being able to anticipate other people's uh, behaviors and other people's movements and also there is i think this blanket assumption that the world is just going to get out of their way jay in particular is definitely mm -hmm. like this that he is <laughs> he basically sees himself as like the lead character in a video game i think and that everyone else in the world is an npc they are a peripheral character that uh, uh, oh. exist only to enhance his plot line <laughs> so if he's walking he expects everyone to get out of his way i think um and that is i don't know how i teach that out of him <laughs> basically i'm just gonna have to leave him to bump into people when i teach comedy in schools and like i teach like that eight nine year old kind of age range whenever i turn around to schools and i go right what's the main skill that you want these kids to have by me teaching them comedy mm -hmm. they always say oh can you give them some confidence so at the moment <laughs> five-year-olds are full they're full of themselves aren't yeah, they? yeah 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 absolutely. and then what happens when they get to about eight or nine is i think they kind of like we somehow take it out of them that kind of like whoa I can do anything and be anything so in a way I quite like the fact at the moment that my boy is just like ev everything is a possibility wouldn't it yeah. be lovely to kind of live like that every day and just think yeah I can do that rather than kind of go oh I won't be able to do that oh that'll probably go wrong yeah I love their unnerving confidence and zest for life well if he's anything like Jay <laughs> <laughs> that confidence will not go it will only increase jay is absolutely convinced he can do anything uh he's slightly too confident i'll be honest in that he thinks that everyone else is an idiot and he can definitely do things better than them so <laughs> there's a there's a flip side to the confidence issue but you're right i mean i don't i don't think that necessarily an MP, that boy, i reckon oh, then yeah God, I, I, I fear for the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think that that having that that confidence it, it's that that fine line between overconfidence and a complete disregard for the dangers of life you know he feels incredibly competent to do anything so he doesn't really perceive where that confidence can maybe let him down one day 
So one of the things you uh, you mentioned earlier was that Ulysses, you, you would hold Ulysses' hand to make sure that he doesn't get into any uh, any danger. Um, I, I envy the fact that he will hold your hand. <laughs> I tried that with when Jay was young, and he was at, it was he was so against it. He would wriggle and try and pull away and shout at me, and like to a passerby, it looks like I'm I'm abducting him. It's, it's it's not great for the you know people think I'm trying to steal him or something and, and it's like he's my child he is my child he just doesn't like me holding his hand so I'd have to let him sort of you know I'd have to basically just trust him I guess from an early age but Ulysses stays with you does he we're on that cusp I think he okay. started to when his friends are around go mummy it's okay I, I'll, I'll walk properly I promise I, I, I know how to do it I'll do it and then I have to like go, yeah, of course, darling, because you want to kind of give them that, yes, that kind of yeah. boost. Yeah, you, you trust them. You think they're going to be, and also their friends are there. But I have to like run behind him and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it looks like me trying to pretend that I'm being part of the game when actually I'm just thinking, please don't kill yourself when you come to the edge of this yeah. footpath. You need to be just about far enough to be able to rugby tackle him to the ground if he looks like he's about to dart into the road. Exactly, um, yeah. And I have the opposite with Otto. Uh, in that he wants to hold my hand all the time, but that becomes a bit of a nightmare because he's really distracted all the time. So he'll just stop. <laughs> I'll just like yank me back and I'll be trying, I need him to hurry up and I'm sort of trying to give him some sort of instructions on how to, you know, how to hurry up. And that's, that's another thing. They refuse to respond to instructions like hurry up. Mm. And I've realised that's not, it's because the hurry up is intangible. It's not a quantifiable thing. It's, they don't like. Why, yeah, why should they? Why yeah. should they hurry up? What is yeah. hurrying up? In the in, you know in the mind of a neurodivergent child, there's nothing specific about that really. Um, so mm. I've realised that I have to be more specific. And if I want to get them to hurry up, I have to say either very specifically, "Can you walk twice as fast as you're currently walking?" You know, something like that. Um, or you have to gamify it. Like you were saying, like you've got that you've got to basically treat everything like a game to try and get them if you want them to hurry up. So it's like, right, let's see how fast we can get to that red car. And it, and so then you've got to sort of let them run off and get to that red car and hope they stop. And you know, mine are old enough now that they will stop, but it's fucking exhausting. <laughs> Having to gamify everything is exhausting but it's the only way that i can get them to respond to that sort of thing that hurry up thing i find that quite interesting they say that teachers say that that's the most heard thing from parents mouths that drop off and pick up is that uh, us parents are always going hurry up hurry up yeah. hurry up and they're often kind of going oh but your child you know you'll blink you know in the blink of an eye you know they'll be all grown up and you'll you'll forget this time and yeah i'm thinking god it takes ulysses just like sometimes it takes him a minute just to get through a doorway do you know what i mean like this is a, <laughs> one of the really annoying things as soon as he steps through a doorway he always stops it's like can you imagine if adults did that like and you get it sometimes that you like you walk into aldi and then someone the person in front of you stops as soon as they've got in through the door and it's like why should it if there's a door there you understand that this is where people come in yeah and it's like so what I think basically five-year-olds and old people are very similar in this. <laughs> they all stop when they get inside a door. I don't know why. I've arrived. Yeah, I've arrived. <laughs> Here we are. That's what I came out to do. <laughs> Tick that box. Now what? Now get out of the fucking way. 
one of the things that I find difficult about walking with neurodivergence is judgment from other parents. I don't know if you have this of people judging the way you're parenting because you have to you have to kind of let them be themselves a little bit more. And themselves is to a neurotypical family quite alarming sometimes. Oh, completely. And sometimes I feel like I've cracked it. And then uh, my boy will create a new kind of embarrassing concept for me, really, that I have to then deal with. Again, I feel like I'm in some sort of like fly on the wall documentary sometimes where they're kind of going, oh, let's see how far we can push it. Um, but yeah, that thing about in terms of walking. So we go to the aquarium most weekends. It would oh, be nice. the aquarium in Bristol. I sometimes feel like he, he doesn't think he's in an aquarium. Again, he thinks he's in some sort of like host of his own TV show. Um, <laughs> so he'll go around kind of almost, the only thing missing is the microphone, kind of telling people, talking to people randomly. Uh, and asking them questions and like and telling them <laughs> things about the aquarium because he's been 16 million times and so have I. I'm so over the aquarium. It's brilliant. It's amazing. The people there are lovely, but we go there a lot. <laughs> and um, and I find that other other parents turn around to me and they kind of almost look at me like, why are you engaging with me? Like everyone has to be in their bubble. Yes, and yes. When you've got an autistic child or a neurodiverse child, there's no you you break the fourth wall of family you know oh, what I mean? like kids. other families seem to be in their own world yeah. and then when you talk to them or your child talks to them they're like surprised that a five-year-old might ask them a question about the octopus uh, and the answer is yeah the name is octavia that's the name. you know he'll telephone them, that's the name of the octopus i quite and like that though. Are going to go, oh wow brilliant i didn't know that that's great yes so other people look at you like why are you talking to me why is your child talking to me and I have to try and not get annoyed by it, but sometimes I feel like saying, fucking lighten up, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you in, the, in an aquarium, there's a lot of children here, just be fucking nice. Yeah, especially when they're five. Come on, like five-year-olds are generally quite cute. So I quite, I, I, I'm all for yeah, my kids popping popping so. other kids' bubbles. India's got this thing at the moment where she waves at complete strangers. Um, and... <laughs> And it's 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 really sweet, and the, they they always engage with her, which is quite nice because she's six. I don't think I'd get the same reaction with the other two, because um, I think the older they get, the sort of people lighten up a little bit less. I think maybe. Yeah. Um, but I'd, I think I'd... there's so much to learn from that kind of that warmth. It's like I've noticed that my even when I'm not with my boy now, I still wave to the driver of the train. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't with my boy going when the train approaches the platform you wave at the driver so now I've started doing it when I'm on my own there's so much joy to it never change the drivers you know the driver exactly this is a little tiny I've got this model that I created as part of my work called the inner comedian model the idea being that uh comedy is about not only about being on a stage but it's about bringing joy and, and warmth to your life in general and doing little tiny funny things that cheer you up and cheer other people up yeah the idea being that it enhances our well-being and so one of those things i've decided is is definitely waving at the train driver and bus drivers in fact wave at everybody just for fun yeah absolutely and <laughs> see see who waves back i'd wave back no problem um but it's those sort of more serious encounters where i feel i feel really kind of judged by other parents when when their child, you look around and you you notice what other kids are like with their parents all the time. You will see children walking with their parents and holding their hands without um, trying to get away. And and almost sometimes having conversations. 
just having a chat with their parents. And you overhear it sometimes. It's like, what magical realm do you live in when, when this is sort of so easy? And so, I mean, it's it seems lovely. And then I look at mine and one's halfway up a tree. The other one's fishing around in a bin. <laughs> and I've lost track of the third one. And, and um, you know, sometimes you do sort of go, oh, I wish... Wish that was. I wish my life was a little bit more like that. But you also, you know, on the flip side, I think some, you know, some kids need to lighten up a bit. They need to be a bit more fun, a bit more playful. And mine definitely have that. Exactly. I think there's some people that just think children should be just not, you know, seen and not heard and not kind of like. Hmm. Um, it's like I, I, I was on the. I'm a big bus user. I use public transport a lot. So at the weekend we'll go out. So when we go to the ground, we'll go on the bus. And the amount of times I've seen parents with children and telling them to shut up and be quiet on the bus. And I'm really? like, no, you should sing on the bus. You should play games. Ulysses gets the, ho- the one that's got the whole bus to play I Spy. Uh, and he, he also <laughs> tries his voice because he's five as well. It's five-year-olds do, don't they? Yeah. They don't have an inside voice. Everything is like this all the time. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. What I do is I always feel like my work in public is always about distracting him and engaging him and yeah, yeah, getting yeah. him focused. He doesn't have a meltdown, mm-hmm. uh, so that he doesn't uh, get, you know, get annoyed, doesn't get anxious, doesn't feel like he can't cope. So I'm constantly preventatively kind of going, look at this, let's play ice bow, let's sing a song, and I see that as my job. Whereas other people see their job as flattening their children and well, making I, them quieter. Yeah, and, and I don't. I want to bring them out, not put them back in. But I'm really interested in that because I think I think they do that with their kids because the kids listen. And so it becomes about how they want their kids to behave. Where it's it isn't like that if you've got a neurodivergent kid. If I tell my kids to shut up or be quiet, they don't listen because they can't. They don't realise that they're being noisy, or they don't. They, I don't think they see that they're doing anything wrong. So they wouldn't really instinctively go, "Oh yeah, sorry, I'm going to annoy people." And so in turn, that's taught me to just let that slide and go. Actually, no, I'm I'm quite happy for my kids to be themselves as long as they're not you know, like in, in people's faces. And, you know, I, I, I do get a sense sometimes that people bristle when my kids are like a bit near them or something like that. And I will try and gently shepherd them away, but I won't tell them to shut up because that's, you know, that's who they are and they're expressing themselves. Well, that's the thing about public transport is that the, you are in people's faces because you're, you're, you're up close and personal. Mm. Um, and the amount of times I've been on a bus and like we've had to, it's been packed and no one's moved out of the way so we can sit down and stuff. And we have to like st- you know, stand up with them, which is so hard. And I also want to tell all bus drivers in Bristol to, to wait until their their young passengers have sat down. I think people who train to be a bus driver should spend an afternoon going out on public transport with an autistic five-year-old and a shopping bag and try and balance yourself and your child upstairs on a bus. But anyway, this is not about buses today. Sorry. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's another episode, Angie. Don't worry about that. One of the, the times where I feel probably the most judged by other parents uh, is when we're out and about, is waiting at traffic lights. That, that when you look at other children at traffic lights, they're just standing there. It's baffling to me they just wait they're waiting they literally see they see the red man and they go oh i'll just stand like that guy and they stay still and hold their parents hand or just that's it's they're just waiting for something to happen my kids uh can't wait they don't have that capacity because i mean the adhd definitely plays a part in this as well and they're constantly on the go so i've got like you know one of my kids is swinging around the traffic light like a pole dancer 
<laughs> I've got a, a, another one just like jumping up and down. Um, and the other one has, has discovered that there's a thing in traffic lights. I don't know if you know this for, um, for, for blind people on the bottom of the traffic yeah. lights is a little thing that moves when it's ready to cross. So That's they're right. just like, they're fighting to get there. And they're like, my kids are sprawling all over the place and other parents, I just feel the sort of sense of judgment that my kids are not behaving as they would want their child to behave. I don't give a hoot um, about that, but I, I know that um, other parents do. And it's sometimes a little bit mortifying when it gets a bit out of hand and they're bumping into people. Yeah, I can remember the first time I saw, again, we were at nursery and, and a friend's daughter was on their like little tricycle thing and they were allowed to kind of be in front while we had a conversation. And I was like, I couldn't relax. I was like, what about the bike? And they're like, oh, well, they'll just stop when they come to the end. And it's like, but how do you know they'll do that? Oh, because that's what they do. And it's just, you know, it's weird. Again, you're right. It's only when you see kind of neurotypical children that you kind of go, oh, so they just do what you tell them to and they, they sit still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and they remember that instruction for the next time. It's not like this is not just a yeah. one time instruction. This is like an every time instruction, and that sticks in their head. That's the like, what kind of magic do you use? I mean, the other thing that I get is is uh, particularly with with Jay, who uh, is undiagnosed PDA. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with PDA at all. Yeah. Um, uh, for, for the listeners that don't know, uh, we've talked about it quite a lot. It's pathological demand avoidance, and it's it's a whole different world of basically. Or, or, um, or the other the other way of phrasing it is pervasive uh, desire for autonomy, which I really like because that makes perfect sense to me. It much it's more it much yeah it much more accurately describes uh, Jay's sort of take on the world. He wants to be autonomous, and he doesn't want people making decisions for him. Um, so again, when you're kind of walking and you need to get from A to B, and everyone knows we need to get from A to B, we're going from here. We walk into school, right? This is something we do every day. It's nothing new. You know the routes. Sometimes I'll give you an option of which route to go down just to mix it up a bit because I know that novelty is really important to kids with PDA to making things a bit more different. And there was one time where he just stopped. He was like, I'm not going anymore. I'm just sitting down. <laughs> and he, he said he got a stitch in his thigh. And I've, I've tried many times to explain that you can't get a stitch in his thigh. But what do I know? I'm not a doctor. I mean, you know, it's not a thing, just to be clear. It's definitely not a thing. But to Jay, it's a, it's a valid reason for stopping what he's doing because he can't carry on. So he sits down on this wall and I'm walking on with the other two. And all of a sudden I turn around and he's sat down then. He's got his, his face set to grumpy mode. And I know that that means we're not going anywhere until we resolve this. So I have to then get the other two. We've already run ahead to come back. We have to go back. And I'm aware of time at this point as well. I'm going to school. So there's a very specific time that I need to get there. Um, and I also know that Otto gets really, really anxious if he knows he's going to be late for something. It freaks him out. He's he's incredibly dysregulated. And he's now got his eye on the time. And Jay has just sat there. It's also, India has an issue with not wearing appropriate clothing for the weather. So I've got to let, it's freezing cold and she's shivering. So it's like, I've got to get her inside as well. And Jay's just sat there not moving. And... As a, as a parent, what do you do at that point? Because <laughs> I've got three competing <laughs> needs. I've got to work out the best approach for this. And Jay was like, I need to have a rest. So I was like, okay, I will give you 
30 seconds and then we'll go. And we waited 30 seconds. They were like, no, I need longer. I was like, oh, for God's sake. Well, we'll just walk on. I was like, we'll leave you here. He can actually walk to school on his own. So it's not, um, you know, I wasn't just abandoning him to his fates. But I was like, if I just take this demand out of it and we just walk on, we'll be fine. We started walking. And then about 10 seconds later, he sprinted past us. <laughs> it's like... That's that stitch was not a natural thing, was it, Jay? You were just you were just fucking with me. And it is just this sort of like it it isn't just a case of getting from A to B smoothly. There is always this like constant negotiation and sort of just having to manage the whole process, especially with you kind of multiple different competing needs. And that is just just exhausting. <laughs> It's, and it's too late to just kind of leave them now, isn't it? And just start a new life in another country. Well, no, um, it's not, you know. We've gone past that, haven't we? Really? We've gone past that. I'm quite fond of them, to, to be fair. You know. Um, yeah, mine's all right. I quite I like, like him. I like keeping them around, but it is, um, doesn't make it any easier. Another thing is, like, you, you kind of touched on this earlier about people whose, whose kids just, just do what's expected of them in that sort of, that, that sense, um, is that hanging out with people who don't understand that that's not the case for all kids. So, like, I met up with some friends recently and it was really lovely. I'd not seen them in ages and we met up and um, they texted me, like, the next day and went, oh, it was, it was really fun. Let's meet up. It'd be really good. Let's get our kids together. We'll go for a lovely long walk. And like, and I'm already going. No, no, no. This is not. This is not an option. Uh, we'll go for a really lovely long walk in the in the countryside, and then we'll go and have a pub lunch. <laughs> and my response was, "You haven't yet met my children, but I would give it about thirty seconds before you realise what an absurd suggestion that is." It's just, I can't imagine anything worse because I, I mean, there there have been a number of times where we've tried it where we've tried to sort of coordinate this meetup with friends because um, kids, hey, our kids are a similar age and let's go and, you know, let's go and do a thing and we'll go for a walk and it'd be really nice. And and typically Jay will torpedo that and he'll decide that he doesn't want to do it and he'll just be really grumpy and he'll either, like I say, be sitting, sitting, being grumpy behind or he'll be running far ahead and we're like literally worried that he's gone into the woods and we'll never see him again. Um, and we've had to abort a lot of different kind of family days out. And we just kind of realised that we can't do that with other families anymore. Exactly. So you, you can't leave your children, so you're just going to have to divorce your friends, Mark. <laughs> no, we've basically worked out which ones we can and can't do that with. It turns out that we can't do that with many, many, many families. And that's OK. That's not that's a thing that we do as a family. We don't have to do it with other families and we're, not, we're never going to be ramblers let's face it well, that's the great thing though when you find a friend who's got neurodiverse kids that can, just kind of understands you you're like right you're our new friends and we can we can go and do stuff and it's you know there's kind of like there's confidence in numbers isn't there so yes. numbers, you know you can form one big super family I also really really love going out with the um you know like at the weekend we did incredible kids which is an organization for families mm -hmm. of disabled kids we do loads of stuff with the Bristol Autism Project, uh, who put on free stuff uh, for families of autistic children. Oh, wow. Uh, so we do a lot of those kind of things in Bristol and really enjoy it. And again, because you kind of feel like, like we once went to watch a film and it was mad. Can you imagine like all new autistic, neurodiverse six-year-olds, <laughs> six to eight-year-olds, say, in, a, in, in, the, in the watershed, all watching this film and all just kind of doing their own thing. It was crazy. <laughs> it becomes kind of a white noise after yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of to you, it just seems so normal. But I remember thinking, oh, this is great, because if we'd been in a, 
a, just a mainstream, you know, event, uh, you know, cinema showing. We'd have had to have left or yeah, I'd yeah. have had to have been up so many times. In the end, I'd have been the annoying one. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like picking your bat up battles, isn't it, yeah. all the time? Because if you spend too much time going, shush, be quiet, do this, because that's, you know what I mean? Because he was just being really loud. And I don't want to talk to everyone about the film, you know, halfway through. You then become part of the problem. So it's all about picking your battles and kind of going, whereas the Bristol Autism Project, they have amazing stuff. It's free as well, which is brilliant. It's really easy to sign up. And they have play workers there. And it's just nice to experience something with other families who've got autistic kids. It's just a different feel. As you were saying, it's kind of safety in numbers, right? And that, that's the that's the nice thing, is that if you, we do end up going out with a, a, another family with neurodivergent kids um my kids aren't going to be near me <laughs> most of the time but i know that they'll be near someone and that person will understand the kids and they will understand how to you know how to approach the kids in that sense like uh, what i don't want is for them to, you know if you if you're with a neurotypical family and your kid is doing some you know sort of going slightly off the rails or whatever they'll they will talk to them in a neurotypical way they'll say get down shut up stop doing that mm. and that's not gonna work that's not gonna wash with my lot um so so having that kind of freedom to know that your kids are around people who are a bit more understanding and a bit more kind of um experienced at dealing with neurodivergency is definitely um takes a lot of the pressure off and a lot of the judgment away from it, I guess. Yeah, and the, the thing that worked a lot for us when he was a little bit younger was we've got to go home because there's a dragon on the roof. Always were. <laughs> just coming out of that being feasible at the moment. But so what would happen when he arrived there, to find that there wasn't a dragon on the roof? Well, it's because the dragon has gone now, you know. Oh, so you know, it was there. Now it's gone. <laughs> so we did the right thing. The dragon's gone off for its dinner. I like it. It's nice. One of the things that we, we did quite a lot when they were little as well, which was quite quite fun was going to a national trust property because there's just like big grounds uh so you'd go you'd go somewhere and they they'd just be like it's usually attached to a wood or some kind of big gardens and stuff and then there's the house never go in the house not with the neurodivergence stay <laughs> stay clear of the house and the expensive wallpaper guys uh that's my advice for you um but <laughs> And even if they want to go in, go, no, 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 we don't want to do that. Uh, let's go back into the woods again. Just keep them out in the wild. But having that kind of sense of space and that freedom to roam is great. However, you will come into contact with people who detest everything about your children. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's full of a lot of um, older people who may not be aware of kind of neurodivergency you may not be very very well versed in it and my children are noisy and disruptive and that's not why they went there you know they went there to look at the gardens and to you know to, to yeah be... i remember us running around again just to say, let you know bristol autism project gets given um like you know kind of quiet days whereby it's just their members who can oh, go wicked. around those kind of properties oh, fantastic. so do check them out if you're listening at home um but i remember us running around a, a national trust space once with a sword which is kind of kind of normal in a yeah, castle yeah, type yeah. place isn't it with a sword and some bloke coming up to ulysses and saying you can't have that it's dangerous and taking it off him what? which then led to a meltdown and it was just like just really weird also just i just want unless Unless a child was going to seriously, I thought it was like a pretend sword, by the way. It wasn't an actual, like, <laughs> I didn't intend to <laughs> You didn't arm children. your child in a national oh, trust. Yeah, was, <laughs> oh, damn, we didn't take any, um, <laughs> anything out that could maim anyone with us. It was just a plastic sword, and um, he, he had got, took it off him and said, You can't have that, it'll take someone's eye out or something, and took really? it off him. Because um, you can't just take things off children. I, I, don't, I don't know why anyone would do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. Say, unless I thought a child was about to, their life was in danger. 
they would never touch anyone else's child without exactly. their yeah, exactly. permission. Exactly. Um and, and and I get I get that my kids are probably quite alarming to people who are not used to that quite that sort of behaviour or that sort of energy, you know, because they all they will run at full speed in very narrow gaps. That's the thing that they like to do. Um and to to some people it feels like they're running at them you know that they're going to take them down or something so i i've a number of times heard pensioners shrieking as my child approached them they already know they're going to dodge out of the way or whatever they're not going to take them down but they don't know that so they're alarmed and i get that but then i end up having to kind of shuffle behind them and going i'm sorry <laughs> you know i'm sorry about them and you know that's again where i guess the sunflower lanyard may come in handy sometimes to warn them that their behaviour is likely well, to be unpredictable. I've not used it yet. When do you use yours? If you're going out for the day, will you use it? It depends, really. I like airports. That's always good um, to do that for special oh. assistance and stuff. Um, and yeah, to be honest, I try not to go to places where that's needed anymore. But they, they, sometimes when you can't avoid being in crowded places uh, and you know that your kids might be dysregulated, I find that's quite useful um, as a sort of heads up by the way this behavior is not caused by them being rude or being naughty it's because of neurodivergency and it does it does help i think people are a little bit more kind of understanding um because i feel quite Can you get you backstage at rock concerts as well <laughs> haven't tried it yet it's a good shout you should try that if you go and see like you know you go and see coldplay or keen or something <laughs> just wave it and say look my child's having a meltdown because they really want to go and see Chris Martin. <laughs> see, Otto does love music, so maybe I could use him as a as a way in. One of the other sort of things that frustrates me about walking with my neurodivergent kids is that they don't respond to urgent instructions very quickly. There's always that, that sort of processing delay with, with mine. With Otto in particular, uh, Jay's usually in his own world, so he won't really hear it. It'll just be in his own head. Um, but particularly when it comes to dog poo, have you had that? <laughs> look out for the dog poo they completely ignore me i'm like like trying to because they're not near me so i can't just grab them and the amount of times that otto's just walked straight through the dog poo uh a few more steps and gone what dog poo it's like it, it's it's gone now it's already it's too late the thing i'm having at the moment is having to repeat myself six times on everything yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah brush exactly brush your teeth brush your teeth brush your teeth can you brush your teeth and it's that idea about, you know, wanting to tell your neighbours that when you hear me shout at my kids, it's because it's the sixth time I've said, brush your teeth. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and it's, they, I have a lot of that of having to kind of give them a heads up. So when you're walking with them, and I found this like you've got to be you've got to be looking so far down the road to to anticipate any kind of potential, you know, stumbling blocks or, or any, you know, if someone's walking uh, towards you and you're in a narrow bit of path and you want them to move to the left so that there's they they're out of their way instead of sprawling around and spinning around all over the path i have to warn them way in advance stay on the left guys stay on the left come on stay on the left and you you know it's um uh, so you're kind of you're always on edge i think to a degree um well i am i guess you know this is something i reflected on in the last episode um I, like i am constantly hyper aware of not uh, kind of annoying other people it's it's something that's ingrained in me and it, it is gradually being beaten out of me by my kids because I've started to care about it less and less but deep down there's a, there's a part of me that doesn't want to inconvenience anyone so I'm constantly on edge trying to make sure that my kids are sort of following the rules or staying where they're supposed to be or sort of giving people the space mm -hmm. that they need 
Um, and I don't know if you. Kind I think of have that, that I do that, but I don't think I do it out of. I d- obviously, I don't want to annoy people, but I think the reason why I do it is because I want to be a good role. I'm always trying to role model the behaviour that I think is is good behaviour to mm-hmm. have that will be of use to you in the world, and also which will make you uh, love more and be loved more. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's more about saying this is what we do. We make sure other people are okay. We make sure other people can get past. We make sure other people are all right. We make yes. sure we're okay, but we also make sure other people are okay. And I think yeah. that's where I come from. And I know as a child, I was brought up being told to like always move out the way, make sure other people have got space. Yeah, and um, I've tried but- that. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried that so many times. But if they can't, they don't interpret other people's intentions. If you think about it, you know, if you think about They have no empathy, do they? You know the idea that empathy, you start developing empathy when you're seven years old and you don't stop developing it till you're about 25 right okay and so mine hasn't got any empathy yet yours have probably just started to get a little bit of empathy and so that's why because it's not in their brains yet yeah i mean it's it's yeah it is quite interesting that they can't really see things from other people's perspective and i but i don't think necessarily that means that jay in particular doesn't feel like he has a lack of empathy i think i think he can see things from other people's perspective but he doesn't care because <laughs> he's gonna do what he's gonna do doesn't really matter <laughs> Obviously, I want to look at the, you know, with this, with the Neuroshambles podcast, I like to look at the positive side of things. And there are, you know, walking is an invaluable tool for our kids. It's not, you know, when you're, when you're trying to get from A to B, it is frustrating because they will be all over the place a lot of the time and they'll, they won't really pay attention a lot of the time and they'll bump into people and that, all of the fun challenges that that presents. But also, it's a really valuable tool for my kids to just burn off energy. Just going for a walk is actually, if you've not got an agenda, just going for a walk's really good. We, we had a dog for a while and that was quite good because it was like, oh, well, we've got to take the dog for it. So everyone came and that was really nice because it, we had a spaniel and, and she was absolutely bonkers and the kids really picked up off of that, that energy and they, everyone was just scattering, just running. Um, we'd just go to a big, wide open space and they'd just run to the far corners of the woods and we'd eventually get everyone to a head count on the way back, make sure we got everyone. Um, also, ha- taking them for a walk when they're dysregulated is really important, I think. You probably have this with, with Ulysses, because he's five as well. So and I imagine, you know, uh, if he's in a situation he doesn't want to be in, you need to physically get him out of that space. Yeah, we love going for walks. I mean, walking's great. It's, it's one of the only activities that uses all your senses at once, which is why it's so good for you. It's supposed mm. to like make you live forever if you go for lots of walks. And they say that's particularly good for, uh, for patients who've got dementia as well, that it kind of like all your senses are being stimulated when you go for a walk. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem I have with Ulysses at the moment is sometimes he's getting to that age now where he'll go, I don't want to go for a walk. I'm too tired. I'm too tired. I don't want to go. And then after he's been in the woods, in Lee Woods for 15 minutes, you know, and after a while it's time to go home, he's like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. This is where I'm not going to go home. <laughs> well, if you never get him out, and then when I'm out, I can't get him back home again. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you can get him out by telling him there's a dragon in the woods. The dragon, yeah, the dragon. I think we're getting a bit too old for the dragon one. I'm going to have to find a new one, yeah. (laughs) Poetry Corner. So Poetry Corner has been inspired by the topic of this week, which is obviously walking with neurodivergence. So, um, yeah, here it is. When walking home from school one day, my boy was miles ahead. He sees no need to walk with me, so he races off instead. Now, I've tried to force compliance and to keep him close at hand, but he's got his own agenda, so he vetoes each demand. 
Now, to some, it seems quite reckless not to keep him by my side, but I've learned to pick my battles, so I choose to let it slide. You see, my young boy is autistic with acute ADHD, and behaviour that makes sense to him seems odd to you and me. There was one day in particular that emphasised this plight, when both he and I were out and pausing at a traffic light. Whereas most stand still at crossings, waiting till the light turns green, he can't contain his urge to move. He's like a jumping bean. He flaps and squirms and fidgets, twirling round the metal pole. And to uninformed observers, he has zero self-control. I see this mother standing with her child, who's calm and quiet. And I know she's judging mine, who's like he's midway through a riot. I see her shake her head at him and pull her child away, because his limbs are wild and reckless and her kid might catch a stray. Now, although she's not said anything, I know just what she's thinking. As she gives the side eye to my boy, who looks like he's been drinking. She thinks my child is naughty, his behaviour's out of hand, and he needs some firmer boundaries from a dad who's in command. He wouldn't act like this with her, behaviour left unchecked. She'd whip him into shape and teach him how to show respect. My parenting's the problem here. I need to take control. I shouldn't try to be his friend. That's not a parent's role. And I feel her judgement keenly as it dents and wounds my pride. And... Although my boy's oblivious, I die a bit inside, because perhaps she's got a point, and I should choose to interject, because by not correcting him, it's tantamount to gross neglect. If I grab his hand and force him to stand close to me and wait, maybe he can learn good manners and he might cooperate. I need to teach compliance so he'll blend in with the crowd. His behaviour won't be frowned upon and he can make me proud. And... By not insisting he conforms to social expectations, I'm ensuring he will fail at interpersonal relations. Maybe I'd be better reining in his self-expression. If it's not curtailed, it's narrowing his choices of profession. You see, if I really loved my boy, I'd step up to the plate. I'd nip this in the bud and teach him how to integrate. As I stand and muse on how my parenting is a disgrace, the lights turn green and... The most enormous grin engulfs his face. He skips across the road with glee, arms raised towards the sky. And I laugh while trying not to catch the sour-faced mother's eye. I hear a tut, her disapproval once more underlined as she quickly shuffles past me with her child in tow behind. And although he shows compliance, making sure he's with his mum, I just can't detect a spark in him. He seems so bloody glum. And I'm sure his mum's delighted that he's calm and smartly dressed, but in starching out his character, he's lost all interest. And although I can't be sure, I thought I saw him sneak a glance at my boy who's now stood on a stump and doing a chicken dance. And maybe it's projection, but I sensed an envious twinge of my son's unbridled daftness that would make his mother cringe. And I realise that I'm the one being taught a lesson here. I mean, just who am I to wish his manic side would disappear? Now, it might not please all parents, but it really pleases me that his infectious effervescence is on show for all to see. And by all means, be judgmental if it makes you feel okay. But forgive us if we give no shits as we do things our way. Because while you stand there tutting at the way he seizes fun... 
I'll be smiling as he fizzes on towards the setting sun. It's not all rubbish. So this section is the it's not all rubbish section, um, which is basically looking at the, the more positive side of um, parenting neurodivergence. So one of the, well, the first section in, in this bit is the neurodiversity champions. And you've just like reeled off quite a few great projects by the sounds of it. So is there anyone you want to give a shout out who is particularly um, kind of good? Yeah, I, I don't know whether other cities are this good, but in Bristol we have a plethora of different things. So there's the Bristol Autism Project and Bristol Autism Support. The Bristol Autism Project is the one that does amazing free activities in the half term, in the summer breaks. Oh, amazing. You sign up with them and they have like play workers that are there. So obviously you're still there with your children. But often, like I said, if it's a, a national trust property or something like that, they'll have a, a smaller quota, like they'll hire it out for the weekend. A takeover event at a national trust. Oh, I a love takeover, it. yeah. <laughs> so, it's a, you know, so it's not going to be as busy. They'll also set up some arts and crafts stuffs there. And, and it's just a, an opportunity for you to be around parents who kind of get yeah it, yeah it's important yeah and bristol autism support is more a movement for campaigning mm-hmm. uh for uh, supporting people who are going through the process of maybe getting the hcp or a diagnosis um, and they have a, people that work there to to help reach out to parents who need some support and then murmuration is a community of getting uh, parents of disabled children together to um, have, there's a six week course you can go on which is brilliant whereby you do arts and crafts you do yoga and you talk about you know the real struggles as well as the the triumphs mm-hmm. of parenting disabled children and of course uh, parents of neuro- neurodiverse children are welcome there as well that's a lovely course and i really enjoyed it and made some great friends which i've still got today oh fantastic but there's loads of other organizations that i'm part of i also want a, a big shout out to flora uh, the flora is the council's way of getting you respite care or one-to-one workers so that your pet your children can access stuff in the school holidays mainstream outdoor um, activity clubs or out of school clubs so like say uh, so in the, in the summer uh, he got a one. To, they paid for him to have a one to Ulysses to have a one to one support worker to go on circus weeks and theatre weeks all that kind of stuff. Great. Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to put a link to all of that stuff in the show notes so that people can uh, can click onto it and investigate more. The other neurodiversity champion that I wanted to mention is just one that we talked about earlier, which is the National Trust. Are actually really good in that they 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 have an essential companion card, so that if you have a, a disabled kid then obviously neurodivergency is included in that then you can get a kids membership i think for 10 pounds and then they get a free essential companion card uh so you can basically go and you know for a year you can you can go to a national trust property with your kid and you know go go and appall the pensioners there um (laughs) and uh yeah that's that's a really good way of doing it and also it's not just a card that you don't have to name the essential companion so if you if you you know want to give it to grandparents to go and do it that's a, a nice way of doing it as well so um shout out to the national trust for that tiny epic wins you know in our setup there are things that, that could seem like a tiny thing to a neurotypical family, but for us, it's like a, a an epic win. I don't know if you've got any tiny epic wins that you wanted to kind of bring. I have, yeah. So um, it's, 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 it's a classic trait that autistics are picky eaters. And Eunice <laughs> yes. has been very picky. Just getting him to eat any normal food is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks ago, we were in a restaurant and I went, well, I said, let's go for lunch. We'll have, how about some chips? Knowing full well, he won't eat any chips. Yeah. He won't have them. 
And if I do order them, they'll sit there and then I'll eat them. But I have to keep trying because that's yeah, what yeah, doing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Today's the day when he'll eat a normal food, you know what I mean? And um, we went and we ordered chips and he ate them. <gasps> it was in TFI Fridays oh in God. Cabot. I, I was I was crying. I was literally crying. And I was telling them, I was trying to tell the waitress how happy I was and why. And she must have thought I was nuts. Like, like... But <laughs> you order some chips and your child ate them. What is, she couldn't, she like, she's smart. Yeah. Like, oh, great, lovely. But I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> this is, this is the most amazing thing ever. And it means amazing. that we now, I can buy chips from him and he'll eat them. He'll eat a normal food. This is just amazing. But to, if I'd have told anyone else this, they'd be like, you give your child chips. It's like, you don't understand. This is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah it's amazing. Normal food. Because yeah. a lot of autistics, what they do is they like they like things to be regularly shaped. And most food is irregularly shaped, and that's what the problem is with Ulysses. I think. Yeah, nice. No, I definitely celebrate that tiny with you. That sounds fantastic. What the flip? The the final section of this is the what the flip section, which is where where your kids will do or say something that completely flabbergasts you. Have you got any kind of moments where Ulysses has absolutely stumped you in terms of how to respond? Well, last night, so he's got a sixth birthday coming up. He's having a magic show. He's having a live rabbit. So nice. last night I was doing the invites. I've got rabbits on them. And I turned to Ulysses. I went, there's something special coming to your party. There's a special animal coming. Can you guess what it is? And he's like, no. And I'm like, look at the invite. Look at the invite. And he's like, I don't know. And like, it's a magic show. There's a picture of a rabbit. You like rabbits. Can you guess what animal is going to come to your party? And he said, is it a giraffe? <laughs> how, how can I get a giraffe into a community hall in Eastern? <laughs> well, to be fair, you appear to have access to dragons, so <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, I've made him think now that I can access any animal, real or mythical. You're like Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> I've got special powers. <laughs> um, one of my uh, what the flip moments this week. <laughs> it's just it was quite nice actually um i overheard otto talking to jay and otto went daddy is definitely not autistic and i overheard and i chipped in and went what, what makes you say that otto and jay then jumped in and went because you're weird <laughs> like, thanks for that thanks jay um the other one again was from from jay uh it's been really cold lately i don't know if you've noticed but jay is insisting on wearing shorts to go into school and um <laughs> and i said why i mean you can wear them that's okay but why are you wearing shorts on such a cold day and he went yesterday i wore trousers and i ended up being hotter than a cow wrapped in a burrito and put in an oven it's <laughs> <laughs> got away got away with words my boy okay i think that's the i think we've uh, i think we've We've done justice to walking with neurodivergence. So um, one thing I wanted to say before we go is just to, to, for people to to check out Walking with Toddlers, which is the radio play pilot that Angie's recorded. Um, just tell us a little bit more about that, Angie. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm comedian in residence at the University of Bristol. And, and one of the commissions was to create an audio play. And me and Ellie Rycroft wrote it together and she's a, a lecturer in theatre. And we both had children at the same age. And so what this is, is it's you've got our main character who's got a child who's about to go for a walk, but the whole time they're listening to a podcast called Manara's Mindful Mummies Podcast. And it's all like a little bit of a, an idealistic way of this podcast of how to kind of engage in nature with your <laughs> child. And, um, and then you get the reality of the mum going out for a walk with a child and the craziness that that ensues. It's a little 15-minute listen. Uh, so please have a listen to it and give me any feedback. 
my plan is to get it on Radio 4. That would be great. It's very Radio 4. Yeah, it was really fun. And definitely rings some bells with neurodivergent kids as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please go and watch Walking with Toddlers. Uh, listen to it rather. Um, so, and, and Mark will put that in the um, in the comments section. Thank you. No, you're more than welcome. Uh, thank you to the audience for listening. I will just do a quick kind of shout out for the socials. We are on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Reddit and Threads. So please feel free to kind of follow us there and uh, please spread the word if you've got anything that you want to talk about uh, or you, if you've got anything to add to what we've talked about and you want to or if you want us to discuss anything else email us at hello at neuroshambles.com and uh, hopefully I can include some of that in the next show but uh, thank you very much all that remains for me to say is have a nice life <laughs>